I've always enjoyed Southern literature. You know, and, and you know, when we say Southern literature, we often think of Faulkner or something like that. And, and I've, I've, re- I've read Faulkner as everyone that probably in Mississippi is required to read Faulkner at some point say that we've read Faulkner. Um, God bless him, Faulkner. It, 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 it's, it's, I, I guess real literature folks like him, but it's hard work to read Faulkner. It's hard work. So when I say I like Southern literature, I don't mean necessarily just Faulkner, but I mean like, um, I mean people that write observations about Southern life. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Those of you my age and older will probably remember this. Those of you younger than me won't. Louis Grizzard. Oh, my gosh. I used to love to read Louis Grizzard. He was the best. He was a columnist out of Atlanta. And he wrote a column that was published in, in local papers. The McComb Enterprise Journal always had his articles. I loved, I may have shared with you, one of our afternoon routines was... Um, We'd, I'd get home from school, and me and Daddy would wait for the paper to show up. Then I'd go get it, and he'd read the, the news, and I'd read the sports, and then we'd swap. That was our, our afternoon routine. But I love, I love Grizzard. I, I, heard a, I heard somebody say one time when I first started preaching, I said, Methodist preachers usually quote more Louis Grizzard than they do Scripture. <laughs> Probably not far from the truth. Um, but he has some of the best observations on life. He said one, one of my favorite ones, he says, a man... Spends the first half of his life trying to get away from home, and the last half of his life trying to get back home. I've always liked that. Uh, he, uh, he had some good observations on food. Uh, he, uh, one of my favorite quotes, two things about food I always liked, was, uh, was once he said, there's some things the Lord gave us more sense than to eat, which I agree with. And secondly, this is a controversial opinion, and I want to go and apologize if I offend you on this one, but I go with Mr. Grizzard on this. Jiffy is not cornbread, it's cake. Amen. You know, I like cornbread and I like cake. I like both of them, but Jiffy's not cornbread, it's cake. And I'm, I'll eat all the Jiffy I can stand, it's just not cornbread, it's cake. And that, Louis Grizzard said that, and I agree with him on that one. Um, but uh, there's a guy that came out a few years later who I liked a lot of his stuff too. I remember that name is Scott Morris. He wrote some columns. I think he actually might have wrote for the Clarion Ledger. But uh, he, he, he wrote a great little book. I love about Southern life called Due South. And it was just stories about, about growing, up, growing up in the South and being part of the South. Uh, one of, he had a great column. He grew up Church of Christ. And in the Church of Christ, they don't use music. And so they sing a cappella. And he talked about being a little boy um, and hearing the songs, the hymns of the faith, and then not quite understanding the words. And he always wondered why an amazing grace they had to walk through many toil, toys and snails. They have already come. <laughs> He never quite understood that, and he has some other good lines about hymns. But one of my favorite articles he wrote in this book was on, he called it the, the bless your heart rules. Because um, we know in the South, you can say anything about anyone as long as you begin or end it with bless their heart. You know, sometimes bless the heart is, you know, we've all been someone's face of tragic situations. And we say, well, bless your heart. We're so sorry. We're praying for you. We all know that bless your heart sometimes can be used as an affirmation of care and of concern for somebody. But usually that's not how bless your heart's used. You know, like Tim, bless his heart. Me and Tim have a little running joke inside the staff. You know, when something's really bad or something's really, someone's really acting up, we'll just look at each other. Or usually when I'm acting up and Tim would just look at me and go, bless. 
bless. You know, if you don't even add that you're hard, you just go bless. Now, you know that's bad. So every once in a while, I'll, I'll be fussed about something that Tim will look at me and say, just bless, Andy, bless. So, um, I've, you know, so in the South, we understand the bless your heart rules. And for those that might not be from the South originally, they might struggle to understand what in the world do we mean by this whole bless your heart thing. So, anyway, Peter, bless his heart. <laughs> bless his heart. Poor Peter, bless. Just, just bless Peter. I love Peter. I love all the disciples and the apostles. But for me, uh, my two, probably my two favorite characters in Scripture outside. Well, I, I, I love Elijah in the Old Testament. But I, I love Peter in the New and I love Barnabas in the New. But I just love Peter because Peter is so human. He is just so human. And I love that about him. And I think today in the text we read, we see a perfect illustration of just why I love Peter. Because Peter goes from... Peter's like the weather in March, from here to here. I mean, it's just in five seconds. The passage we read today, we start off with probably my favorite place in all the Holy Land. And when I'm going to Holy Land with Sam Morris, this, this place, Caesarea Philippi, is probably my favorite place in all the Holy Land. And if you've ever heard me do my dog and pony show about Israel, this is my favorite place. Because in Caesarea Philippi, there's, there's some springs that flow from this cave. This cave is monstrous. I, no joke, the cave is probably as big as our, as big as our church. I mean, it's, it's a cave that's just, it, it, it's, it's huge. And... They have, in the, in the years past, have filled a bunch of it in so it's not as deep as it used to be. But back in Jesus' day, the, the cave was so deep that, that no one really knew how far deep it was. And this cave had a spring within it that, that water came out of it. That were some of the headwaters of the Jordan River. But inside of it, there was something. That, there, there was a spring or something that, that smelled of sulfur. So you had this huge cave that was dark and foreboding and scary that smelled like sulfur. The Romans, Caesarea Philippi was a Roman settlement. There was a, there was a Jewish town in front of it, but, but Rome had built a settlement there called Caesarea Philippi. And outside of this cave, the Romans had built a temple to their god Pan. If you knew who Pan was, Pan was the Roman god that was the guardian of the passageway to the underworld. And if you were to cross over there, Pan in the Roman mythology would set you in a frenzy, a panic. So for the Romans and as well as the Jews, this huge cave that was deep and scary that smelled like sulfur, they believed that this cave was the gates of hell. That this cave was the passageway that one could walk through and go through to descend into hell. That was what the Romans believed and that's what the Jews believed. Okay. So Peter, Jesus and Peter and the disciples are there outside of this cave. And Jesus says, okay, who do men say that I, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're this. Jesus is like, that's fine. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, that's right. And this is not shown to you by man, but shown to you by my father in heaven. 
And upon this rock, upon this faith, this declaration of who I am, I'll build my church. And the gate of hell will not triumph against it. Okay, so Jesus tells the disciples the gates of hell will not triumph against his church while standing in front of what they believe to be the gates of hell. Jesus says, you see that right there? That thing that you're afraid of, that thing that you're scared of, that that thing will not be able to stop my church. That thing will not be able to stop what we're doing here. That thing will not be able to stop this movement. The gates of hell will not triumph against Christ and his church. He told that to them while standing in front of the gates of hell. Okay, y'all? As Christians, we got to stop being afraid of our own shadows. Okay? Scripture says repeatedly, we were given a spirit of love, not a spirit of fear. We serve a God that says the gates of hell will not triumph against his church. We have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to be scared of. We are not people of fear. We are people of faith. I read the back of the book. I know who wins. Okay? The gates of hell will not triumph against Christ's church. We as the church, we as the people of resurrection, we as the people of hope, we as the people of life, we have got to stop being afraid of everything. God has this. I am not afraid. Because perfect love drives out all fear. We are people of faith, not of fear. You can tell I love Caesarea Philippi. I love that example God's telling us there. So man, Caesarea Philippi, our boy knocks it out of the park, doesn't he? I mean, Peter, bless his heart, he got it right. Man, he stood up there and said the right thing and did the right thing. and He nailed it. God gave him that word and he said it and boom, it was awesome. Our boy, he's on fire. Peter, look at him go. Okay, then about two verses later, um, says Jesus takes the disciples off and talks. Jesus does it all the time. He teaches publicly, and then he'll take the disciples off to the side and say, okay, let's go deep now. Let's go really deep here. So Jesus takes them off and says, okay, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, the religious leaders, they're going to beat me. They're going to abuse me. They're going to kill me. After three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. But I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over to my enemies. And they're going to kill me. That's what Scripture says. Peter goes to rebuke Jesus. Okay, you've got to be quite confident in yourself. Or you really like to talk. To think, you know what, I, I'm going to correct the Son of God here. I got this. I got this. Peter pulls him over and says, Lord, no. No, you can't do this. No, not so. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not on things of God, but on human things. Wow. Talk about it from here to there. For one minute, Jesus is saying, upon this rock, upon your faith, upon your declaration, upon what you're doing, I'm going to build my church on this. To a few minutes later saying, get 
behind me, Satan. Wow. Bless his heart. That's why I love him. That's why I love Peter, because what he does is often what we do. Moments of great victory to moments of great defeat, often within the same conversation, it seems like. In this Lenten series, we're talking about Jesus' command to follow him. We're looking at different individuals and their following of Jesus and what following Jesus meant to their life and how these encounters that they had with Jesus, how it shaped their life. So today we are looking at Peter and his following Jesus and what we can learn from that. And I think there are two, there's obviously there are books and books and books and books and books that have been written on Peter. From this passage, I want to kind of lift up two things I think that are important for us to learn about Peter and his following of Jesus. First is this. The question I ask you. What do we do when Jesus leads us somewhere that we don't want to go? Let's look, let's, look at, let's look at Peter here. See, Peter, the reason why he wanted to correct Jesus was this. The Jews in that time were expecting a political Messiah. They were expecting a conquering king, a king that was going to ride in on horseback and drive out the Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel. Restore the Davidic kingdom. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a Messiah in the image and in the, and in the line of David like we know as well. But they, they didn't think spiritual. They were thinking political. They were thinking earthly. They were thinking someone that was going to come, come up and set things right like they were when David was king. Drive out the Romans. Reestablish the, 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 the Davidic kingdom line. Basically restore things to how they used to be. They were looking for a conquering messianic king. That's what the Jews were expected. We even see it with Peter. Remember, Peter, God bless him, bless his heart. He never, like, until Pentecost, he never really got it. So, after all the teaching and all the loving and all the encouragement Jesus gave him, Peter, even after all of this, when Jesus was arrested and the soldiers come for Jesus, what does Peter do? Take a sword and cut off a guy's ear. Okay, Peter was looking for something that Jesus wasn't really. Peter was always looking for that. Jesus, of course, heals the ear, puts the sword away. Peter was looking for an earthly king. Jesus was a supernatural, spiritual Messiah. Jesus was a king that was going to be led to the cross. Jesus was a king that was going to be led to be abused and mocked and spit upon and beaten and nailed to a cross. Peter was looking for a road to go this way when Jesus was saying, no, 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 follow me, follow me. But it's not that path you see over there. Follow me down this path. What do we do? What do we do when Jesus leads us down a path that we would, we, we would not have chosen ourselves? What do we do when the pathway of following Jesus is difficult and rocky and hard? What do we do when the path of Jesus is full of tears? struggles because sometimes it is 
I mean, yes, y'all, there are, there, we all know with faith, there are moments of grandeur and moments of delight and moments of smooth sailing and, li- and, and just wonderful life. We know that. In fact, that's probably the majority of life, to be honest with you. But there are moments. There are moments in our life that are hard. There are moments in our life that are full of great challenge. Moments that are full of tears. Moments that are full of restless nights. Sleepless nights. Moments where we cling on tight to Jesus because we got nothing else to hold on to. 